One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Oh my God, we're recording. Let's do a bloody podcast, shall we? Hello and welcome to In The Pocket, the bass guitar podcast where we get the lowdown on the low end. My name's Johnny, a totally average bass player, and each week I'm joined by a different co-host to talk all about that bass. Now, I've only been doing that for like a couple of weeks now, and already I'm fi- like <laughs> trying to find new ways of saying my intro. <sighs> so this week, I'm very lucky to be joined by the incredible crustacean himself it's low and lobster everyone hi i'm john I, no wrong name. <laughs> get that name out of your mouth salutations crustaceans <laughs> <laughs> oh my god hearing that in the flesh <laughs> oh. so i feel like i need to like pinch like or something now <laughs> we need to do that on this podcast you know <laughs> for those at home you can't <laughs> i feel like you just had that on the whole time it's a serious medical affliction this claw need, need those likes <laughs> Whenever somebody mentions a like, it just appears. <laughs> Honest. Uh, for, for those that, that are listening, because um, obviously there's no video part to this, Lobster's famous claw is on display loud and proud. Um, so for those that don't know, and if you're listening to this, you you know, you you know who Lobster is. Uh, incredible uh, YouTuber um, and just all-around fantastic guy and bass player. Um we're going to start things off with three short questions, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit more. Bring um, it on. Here we go. So, life story. Go. No. Um, three words to describe your bass playing, sir. Functional? I thought that was going to be a swear, then. <laughs> Flexible. <gasps> and fun. Ah, I love fun. <laughs> Every time someone brings like new words along, I'm a big fan. Nobody's repeated themselves yet. I love fun. Fun is lots of fun. Why fun? Because I think so in the musical space, it's very, very easy to take yourself way too seriously. And I think it's important to like take a step back and both from yourself and your one's ego and just have fun. Just be goofy. You're, you're, you're expressing yourself with a musical instrument and us as humans are such complex creatures and to pigeonhole yourself into like, I am this serious being who will only play seriously and it's like, chill out a little bit, man. <laughs> Come like, on. You'd be surprised how much better your life is if you just have a bit of fun. Yep. Just have a bit of fun. Uh, well, I love that. And I totally resonate with that because I play with a pick most of the time, but I <gasps> dabble in all sorts. I know well, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about that people cannot say blasphemy to a pick because I find it fun. And uh, and you should never, you know, piss on someone's parade. Um, 
it's great. I love fun. Fun's great. So we had functional, flexible as well. Uh, you know, I've seen you bending around, playing with your toes on the fretboard. Is that what <laughs> you mean by flexible? Yeah, you know, I, I do yoga with bass every morning. Uh, <laughs> 6 a.m. Sure, no. Uh, <laughs> it's just low-end thrones ball. <laughs> so he gets his daily intake of bass. No, but I think uh, it's important to listen. And I think flexibility comes with the ability to just listen to what's going on around you where as any sort of musician where you have to kind of think about what you're doing it's very easy to to put the blinders on and like i need to play this thing without really listening to what's going on around you so flexibility comes with i guess listening and i guess being part of a, a conversation versus reciting something Mm, music like is a conversation that. absolutely and that kind of reminded me I, I was at a wedding the other day and there was a there was a covers band you know a wedding function band and the bass player you know being a bass player I'm, I'm watching him most of the time and i'm listening in and you know with covers bands i know the bass lines or i know what how they're meant to go and he wasn't just reciting he was improvising around some bits doing some fills you know they changed some bits up and i was like yes like that like say flexibility to add their own spin whilst having it recognizable really, really added something. Uh, and not just for us bass players who are listening out for that kind of thing, but for anyone. Uh, yes. Because that is what you are moving to at the end of the day. Honestly, like for me, there's nothing, I guess, I'm not going to say sadder, but like nothing, I guess, frustrates me more than like, you know, if you're playing something and putting your own spin on it and someone's like, oh, you're, you're that, this note actually needs to be over here or that. And it's like, you know, I understand the original composition and stuff, but like at the same time, music isn't about like saying word for word, you know, what someone else has said. But like if I'm telling you a story, I'm going to tell it how like I say it. And that's unique to me. And that's special, you know, what? embrace yourself and embrace like your voice versus focusing too hard on someone else, not emulating someone else's voice, you know? Absolutely. And like finding it can be taken over to even tone as well, you know, finding your own thing that works for you, not just, you know, trying to do research and look what other people like, if you like other people's tone, but finding what works for you it's, it's a journey that I'm still on now and I'll still be on forever, no doubt. It's just always trying to find what works best for me. Um, I'll move on to the next. These are, these are meant to be quick fire. I was like, three words, <laughs> bam, <laughs> dumb. <laughs> but no, <laughs> alas. No. 20 years uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years later. Um, so this, this next one, I feel is going to be another long one because it's going to be very difficult. Uh, because I always ask, what is your number one base? Um, uh, you know, and for you, this should be what is your, you know, top 100 bases? Because as <laughs> viewers of your channel know, you've got a lot of a lot of bases. People, someone gave me stick earlier for having these bases on my wall. They're like, oh, you got enough already. It's like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> the no, iceberg, I don't. My friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to the internet. So my favorite base, my number one base. That's, that's tough. I have several bases that I gravitate towards, depending on what I need. Two of them are sires that I've heavily modified, my two sire jazz bases. They have DiMarzio Area J pickups. Oh. The It's my sire V5 fretless and my V7 vintage. Um, that, that fretless is beautiful. It's stunning. 
Thank you. And I have a video coming up where I actually installed a preamp on that. One of the uh, Lucid Hand NFP, the filter-based preamps. Oh. Um, Facebook has been shoving ads for this guy's company down my throat. And he's a small shop, so uh, good on you guy for, I guess, the adver- the advertising work. Because I-, I just reached out to him. like It's targeting you specifically. Come on. I'm interested. <laughs> Super nice guy, and he sent me uh, he sent me over a couple preamps. Um, I'm actually doing a, a jazz bass preamp video series, looking at a few different drop-ins for for jazz basses. And this one impressed me. I would say impressed me the most because it is very unconventional. It's a wall slash alembic style preamp where you're not dealing with an EQ. It's a single knob, and it's almost controls like the timbre, oh, like. Okay. It's almost like a wah, like, like when you turn it, it's like wah, 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 wah. But like you get that kind of tonal control versus, versus like just a cutting of the, uh, I'm kind of getting off topic. My two sires, the Sire V7 Jazz is like my go-to for like funk, like where I want to play like Marcus because mm-hmm. I mean, it has his name on the headstock, but it always, it always just brings me there. Yeah. I feel like different bases will bring me to different places. Like I'm the same player regardless, but like each base will like, suggest different ways of playing 100 percent, and that's that's what i look for in a bass like if if one's going to sit in my collection it's got to have a reason um not just like yeah i've got these two p bases and they kind of just do the same for me like that doesn't i don't know i i gotta want to pick them up and it gotta make me play a certain way um so i totally totally get that and um, then we'll, we'll talk more about pickups later because i've got a question uh that i've selected that i think You'd be good to answer. So we'll, we'll talk about more about those Damasos there. I have uh, uh, one other bass. Well, oh. like technically two. One for my most flexible bass is probably my Dingwall. My Dingwall really? MG3. Ah. I, I modified that with a John East preamp. Cool. And a six-way rotary switch. So now it can. it's much more neutral sounding than the regular NGs, which are a bit like gritty and metal sounding. This is very neutral, and it can get the P-tones, the J-tones, the Stingray tones... Excuse me. Uh, it can get a lot of different tones, and it just does it well. Where so many basses are trying to do so much, yet they spread themselves too thin. Where you're mm. not really doing anything well. You're just like, okay, you're in the ballpark of all these. Okay, I'll, I'll live with this. But the Dingwall with with the mods that I did is just like the closest jack of all trades bass I've ever played. Wow. And then my favorite favorite is my Stingray Classic. It's simple. Two band preamp and a volume control, but it just has like the tone to me. It cuts through the mix and has the grit, but can, it can also get fat and warm. It just, with having so few controls, it can still feel just so flexible to me. And like the, the differences in your playing style and engaging the bridge mute, if you're playing with a pick, maybe you can just explore a lot of different tones without necessarily messing with controls because the tone's very much in your hands with that bass. Absolutely. Um, I've got the, as you know, the 24 CA and I really like just having that bass in treble. That, I think that preamp sounds great. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 I always just go back to a Stingray. Like uh, ever since owning that one, I've just been obsessed with it. And it's not like the top of the range one, but yeah, it's Indonesian made, you know, it's not even a, a full fat American one. Um, but I love it. And I think they're great. And sting, Stingrays is, I never, I never don't want to have a Stingray in my collection. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, agreed. For, for, you, for you, 100%. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Um, okay, so the last question um, 
is simply, so simply, simple. Um, why did you pick up the bass? That's not that simple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I had been playing, I've been playing music my entire life. My entire life. Oh my God, since... he came, popped out of the womb and just had a harmonica. It was so strange. Pretty much. No, since uh, I was three, I, I, I took started taking piano lessons. Um, and that was very much an interesting time. I was never like super into piano. I enjoyed playing songs or playing music, but it was very structured as the way it was presented to me. Like, you know, my parents were like, we're going to have you play piano. Um, and I took the lessons, I played the songs, but it wasn't like exploring music I wanted to play or listen to. I did not really have a musical identity. I was three. So it was more just like, learn it, learn this thing. And at the time I did not understand what sort of favors that would do for me. Um, because learning music that early, you don't pick it up as a skill, but you're picking it up as a language. You're picking it up, being able to understand how to talk with an instrument because that's what you're doing. Um, and I never really got to engage that side of uh, my, my brain and myself until high school, where in the between th ages three and high school, I played piano and then trumpet in school band. So, you know, I, I know how to read music, I can play the music, but it's just, you know, it's a class, it's just a thing that I do and like, oh, you know, I just know how to read it. It's, it's just part of me, whatever. But then in high school, I remember actually it was the summer before high school, I was watching some like music awards or something on TV. And I see someone just playing this big guitar. And I'm like, that, that, that looks pretty cool. Um, and my dad had been playing guitar for his entire life. Um, and he was very much into it. And I'm like, hey, hey, dad, what's that? He's like, oh, that's a bass guitar. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Hey, I want to play one of those. And he's like, we'll see how your grades are. I'm like, oh, because I was never really a school guy either, like really into studying and stuff. I was very coasty and like I was into the things I was into. And that was not school. I loved video games and computers and being with my friends. And I also liked building things like Legos and connects and like creating things and understanding like the functionality of the things I create. Uh, so he said, you know, we'll see how your grades are. Then I, next day I'm like, Hey dad, I want to play guitar. He's like, well, let's go to guitar center. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get a guitar and I, I took lessons and stuff for six months. And I hated it. Like it was strings were small and like, I wanted to play bass. Like it was calling to me. So much so that when I remember, I remember in geometry class, when they would just say the word base about like B-A-S-E, <laughs> it would just like resonate in my, in my head. Like it'd be like, base. Oh. and so behind my dad's back, I went to the music director um, because he was the same one for, since I was in middle school. So we were already familiar and there was a school musical, Les Mis my freshman year and i'm like hey i want to play bass for the musical he's like well do you play bass i'm like well no uh but i can if <laughs> if, if uh, i learn <laughs> so he's like sure uh honestly 
Um, and it, Mr. Wright, if you're listening to this, thank you. Because that was the start to my musical life and career as, as I know it. Um, his name was Mr. Wright. It's not just like, oh, the right guy. No, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Wrong and Mr. Wright. They're both there. He was the most musically nurturing person I've ever met. And he was with that for the entire, like the entire class. He taught, you know, band, concert band, jazz band. He, he worked with, uh, but he wasn't the instructor for, but chorus, the musicals, all that stuff. And he said, he would always encourage people and would always bring people in. If, if, if he sensed that, Hey, you know, you could do this and like, you want to do this. He would, he would encourage people and he would help people learn. He would make people want to learn too. So. Cause in music, there's such a a barrier to lots of people because some people like start and then get to this stage and they're like, ah, uh, I'm struggling with this or I don't really enjoy it anymore. So I'll stop. And uh, the lost potential in people like beyond school is, is massive. And you need that person there to yeah. help, like you say, nurture you and to keep you going even when you're feeling like you don't want to do it anymore. And he would always, for all the different things he taught, w- wouldn't just choose like, the, the the big songs, the ones that everybody knows. He would do weird stuff and like obscure music that like we wouldn't know as high school kids, but he would do it for a reason because these pieces of music would teach us something or would let us like think about things in a different way. And there may be some historical significance with the music or just some musical significance in terms of the theory or just how it sounds and the harmonies. But he allowed us to explore so much Um and especially with jazz, he would, you know, he would make us think and would challenge us. And that was something that was was life changing for me. So in high school, I picked up the bass. I, I was in Les Mis for that was my first first time playing the bass. I was in this musical and it was amazing. It was like I was playing with all these people. We were playing in the pit in front of the stage, but you know, there's this musical going on behind us. We were like the musical foundation for this going on. And it felt incredible to wield that power, you know, yeah. uh, to be part of something that is impacting the audience, making them like think and feel and stuff was, was powerful. I love that. And that was, yeah, that was the start. Um, and then in high school, like I grew exponentially as a musician because so many other musicians around me were just so talented. I'm so lucky to grow up around so many other extremely talented musicians. Um, some that I'll name, uh, Lyle Brewer, uh, is an amazing guitar player who, uh, was a couple years older than me, but him and his bandmates were just very much an inspiration for me. Our Jeff, our uh, our jazz band instructor Jeff Buckridge, uh, who is part of uh, the Boston Horns, uh, which is a decently uh, well well known fusion band, especially in Japan for some reason. They're they're big in Japan, but he was our jazz band instructor, and he, same thing. Like he would see what we were into and like kind of t- t- turn it up a bit and like try to challenge us in the context of things that would engage us, not just like here's a challenging song, but like. I remember we did a, a jazz combo where it was like me, the sax, the sax player, the instructor on guitar, and this really good um, drummer. And he's like, we're playing Teen Town. I'm like, ah! 
Okay. Every high school bass player is like dream, like I get to be Jacko. <laughs> uh, you know, who walk up there. Good evening. Good evening. I'd like to say hello to my mother. <laughs> you know, like that, like on the, on the on the live tapes and stuff. But he, he, it was just such a nurturing environment that allowed us to like live out a lot of you know our musical dreams very early on, and also establish ourselves as performers. Where like constantly performing in front of hundreds, if not potentially even over a thousand people, because our auditorium was rather large and our yeah. town is decently sized. Um, that was so educational. And I had no idea how much that would mean to me later in life because, you know, other people, you know, getting on stage, they're like, oh, I'm so nervous. And yeah. it's fine and to be like, nervous, but like, just like, Oh, I've done this like a, a million times. Like it's just, yeah, you know, the yeah, audience disappears and you're just up there with your with your pals and you just kind of do your thing. I, I find the bigger the audience, the less nervous I get because I just like thrive and I'm like, yes, this is brilliant. Like if there's loads of people there, especially it's like for me, I mostly always performed doing originals in bands, you know, and where we've been wanting to make it, you know, or like been pushing really hard. And so a big crowd, we're like, yes, this is brilliant. You know, woohoo. Uh, but that's awesome. That's, I, I love that story. And it sounds like it's really, I can see like the steps that have formed, you know, you and your interest now, uh, not just in bass, but even in like tinkering and things and building things. And uh, that's very much formed you and, you know, and, and your niche, on yeah. on the internet if you want to drill it down to to just that um so we're going to move on to our first question now and that niche will kind of come into play here as well sure so let's go on to our first question Ah, I'm going to try and mix the, the music into that lovely bit of music that you did there. <laughs> okay, so the first question uh, comes from Jared Nunn on YouTube, who says, what kind of jazz pickups do you recommend? Um, now, I'm, I'll hold my hands up. I'm not much of a pickup guy. I love bass, and I love everything about it. But I'm not much of a tinkerer. I'm pretty bad at it. But you are the the king. What did I just say? The king of tinkering. The king tinker. King tinker. That's a new channel. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you have so much experience with with pickups. Um, we're talking about uh, those jazz based pickups earlier. Um, mm -hmm. Just straight up, which it says, what kind of jazz based pickups? I suppose. What are your kind of top three then in terms of jazz bass? So. It depends. Mm. And the more I explore pickups, the more I see how it's not just like, this is a jazz bass pickup. It sounds like this. This is a P bass pickup. Yeah, it sounds totally. like this. There's so many variables in terms of the construction of the pickup and the type of tones that you want to get, uh, where you can have, you, know, P, you can have, you know, two different P pickups that sound completely different from one another, even if they're installed on the same bass. Um, so that being said, uh, I'm actually recently now uh, an EMG artist, which is pretty Woo -woo. cool. So uh, I love EMG stuff. I like their jazz bass pickups. My favorite for the vintage style jazz bass pickups are the DiMarzio um, Area Jays. They're hum-canceling jazz bass pickups. 
And I have them in both of my sire uh, jazz bases that are like my favorite. They're, they're some of my favorite noodling bases. And uh, I just love how they can nail that classic jazz tone while still being hum canceling and being just very quiet and uh, not overly aggressive on any particular tonal area or frequency area. Um, it means you can really mo- like get your playing style through as well, you know. Right, uh, right, right. And, and and I know you quite like like a bit of a flat canvas into and to build your tone around, you know. Yes. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I really i I agree, but then at the same time, I'm like, I kind of want something quite powerful, quite gritty with my jazz basses. Um, I've got currently the only like non-stock. Um, pickups that I've got is the Seymour Duncan quarter pounders that I've got in my jazz bass, which I'm pointing to here, which nobody else can see but you and I. <laughs> um, and so, and I really like those pickups. For me, they suit me really well um, just because of how fat they sound. And, uh, but I do find that they are sometimes a little too hot. That, and I've, I rarely do this on basses, that I have to turn the volume down a little bit on the pickups just to mellow them out a bit. But then that kind of depends on the situation, what I want them for. If I'm doing a bit of slap, then yeah, I'll dial them back a bit. Just It brings up a bit of the clarity uh, and you can kind of hear those notes a bit better. Because um, um, obviously that this question extends as well. I'm going to extend it to preamps because that's a whole other side of jazz bass pickups. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> You're like, here we go. <laughs> Can I unleash you now. <laughs> um, so with preamps, uh, uh, EMG, top choice for you? It depends. So mm. I I love EMG stuff, which is why I'm an EMG artist. It's like, you know, I, I want to be with, a, you know, be supporting a company and being with a company that I like their stuff. Um, before we get to preamps on jazz pickups for a more aggressive one, I actually just started messing around with the EMG Riptides, the Rob Trujillo signature. Uh, I have a video coming on those. Uh, those are those are those are neat pickups. I, I'm not a fan of Rob Trujillo as a player. I'm just like eh, not really a fan. That's okay. He does his thing and he does it well, and, and people like him. I've just never been a fan of his, his, his tone or his playing, but his signature pickup set is awesome. And I re- really like it in this jazz bass with, with an EMG that's, preamp. That's really interesting because, like, you know, you don't like his sound. So, you know, you'd think, oh, I'm not going to like his pickups then. What, you know, you, would, you wouldn't think twice about it sometimes. But that's interesting that then actually you can make them work in the bass that you've got and with the hands that you've got, you know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the hands play a lot of uh, play a, a big influence on on, on one's tone, and, and people often can look. And I mean, I can be guilty of this too. Can overly look at like you know the construction and the uh, like the pickups and stuff uh, as a, as a cause for your tone. But mm-hmm. there's also a lot of technique in the way you play as well, because where you position your hand and in, re- in relation to the pickups, how you play, how you pluck the string. How aggressive the way the direction you put there's so many variables to tone 100 percent. and when i'm watching reviews sometimes i'll be like i reckon i can get a good tone out of that like like but i'll hear the foundations of the bass and like the person will be playing with finger style or i'll, I'll be like oh here they go they're getting out a pick and then they'll palm mute it or they'll play like really lightly and i'm like ah although it's not showing me like some people might be like ah turn it off like if they're in my position um, oh, that's not that doesn't sound like how I want it to sound. But actually, we're here for those 
deeper tones in there that you think, right, yeah, I'm in my playing style, I think that's going to work for me. Um, and it's all about just learning your own playing style, yep. isn't it? So so to answer your question about the preamp, though, so I like EMG preamps a lot, and I think they're, they're very nice because they're flexible but also very neutral. Um, and... By flexible, I mean, like, for example, the BTC, The um, it's a two-band stacked preamp. Mm. It's, it's one that I use on a lot of my EMG builds. Um, there's two little dip switches that actually give you four different treble uh, contours. Oh. So you can kind of really tailor the amount, the, not just the amount of treble, but, like, how it comes in. And you can really just kind of fine-tune your tone a lot, which I like. But for jazz-based preamps... My personal favorite is the Sadowski onboard preamp, um, currently manufactured by Warwick right now. I have that in my V7, and I got another one for my upcoming Jazz Bass preamp guide video, where we're looking at five different drop-in Jazz Bass preamps. Coming and... soon, on a YouTube near you. <laughs> yes, coming very soon. Uh, but the Sadowski, in my opinion, is just so right for a jazz bass where i love flexible preamps especially in like certain contexts where you know you can you're basically in a tonal sandbox and you can kind of boost this cut that and mess around and certain bases like for example my dingwall that now has like you know a three band with a mid frequency and a passive tone control i mean it's a it's it has a lot of knobs and stuff but you know, I know what they do, and they, they do their things. <laughs> Knobs. Uh, <laughs> but, like, for a jazz bass, I feel like you expect a certain tone out of a jazz bass. Mm. And I think for a jazz bass preamp, you have to ask yourself, what is this doing for the jazz bass tone? I have criticized Sire for having their preamp would be a little bit too much for a jazz bass because you have seven knobs on this jazz control plate. It's a very tight area. It can be a little overwhelming, in my opinion. Mm. Um, the Sire preamp in something like the M-Series, where it's a bit more spread out, um, and you're also dealing with humbuckers and, and stuff, it makes more sense to me because almost like an, you're not expecting like an Ibanez EHB or something with a, with a crazy EQ to be a jazz bass. No, and with a, a jazz bass, you know, like you say, expecting that classic sound, not so much this modern, crisp, popping sounds, which, you know, I think the size are great at doing, um, but that amount of knobs um, can be can be off-putting. And it certainly has been for me before with a couple of sizes when I'm like, oh, this is, this is too much. I'm remembering where things are, you know. Uh, it sounds yeah. like, sounds silly, like, oh, just get over it. But that can really put you off. Um and simple things like that have a big impact, I think. Yeah. And um, so the, the Sadowski preamp, in my opinion, just targets the jazz bass character so well. It's very simple. You have a volume, a blend, and a passive tone control, and then a two-band boost-only stack. And nice. the bass control just targets the low frequencies so well, and the mm. treble targets the high ones so well. So if you have a jazz bass and you're like, oh, I need a little bit of extra extra booty, you can dial that in, no problem. If you need a little bit of extra zing, you can dial that in as well. But that's it. There, there's no, nothing else like convoluting that. It's it's accentuating the jazz bass mm. character without detracting from it. That's that's perfect line. That's exactly what you want, I think, out of those more kind of classic basses. If you want something more modern, like say, maybe look at something with with humbuckers that are splittable, and then you've got all of those um, 
all of those metrics in there that you can you can adjust. Some great recommendations in there. Thank you so much. So now let us move on to the news. Let's. Here will be another bit of music. Okay, so this week's news has been a mix of all different things. We've got some new releases, we've got some new colours of things, and we've got um, a bit of news that uh, that you've brought along as well, something that you've told me about before recording this that I had no idea about, but it's a pretty big deal. Um, I guess we should start with that. Uh, do you want to take the floor? Uh, and sure. So... Credit goes to uh, my friend Robert over at the Insoma base channel. Base channel Insoma, I N S O M A. Check him out on YouTube. Uh, he's a German YouTuber, and he brought to my attention that Fender, Yamaha, and Roland, as well as the retailers Toman and Music Store, have all been found guilty of price fixing in the <sighs> EU and were fined twenty-one million euro. Now. What is price fixing? Price fixing is when a manufacturer goes to their retailers and says, you have to sell this item at this price. On top of that, those companies also threatened action against company at, against retailers that do not comply, threatened punishment, either by withhold, withholding uh, bases or items to sell or who knows, but... That's straight up illegal, even in the US. Yeah. I mean, already like that just leaves, even if you don't understand beyond there, it just leaves such a bad taste in the mouth, isn't it? That they think they can just like bully their way uh, in the industry like that because they're these big names. Be like, well, we're going to screw you over if you, if you don't. But now they have been screwed over um, and yes. being made an example of, um, rightly so, because, uh, and, and I love those brands. They're, they make fantastic products but it's, it's such a shame to hear that um well and and the companies as well you know um that's a shame to hear all of that yes um, so uh toman and music store they're involved in this because they were the only retailers to accept the um the proposition from those uh, manufacturers which is also illegal all the other uh, retailers essentially were like no that's legal we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. However, um, Toman and Music Store, I guess, complied with the order and have then also been found guilty of participating in this price fixing. Yeah, and it's just a it's just a money hungry uh, strategy, really, isn't it? They're just saying, right, you're not to deviate from this. This is what you sell it for. Otherwise, you can't. Yeah, and that is totally just undermining the whole concept of you know the global free market. I mean, in all situations, manufacturers are not allowed to dictate the, the, the sale price of, of their products. They can suggest, you know, MSRP stands for Manufacturer Suggestion Retail Price, which is often much higher than what it actually sells for. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., uh, more recently, a lot of companies have been ditching MSRP and going to MAP pricing, which is Minimum Advertised Price. So in the U.S., manufacturers can say, hey, uh, we're going to provide you with some advertising dollars. And in exchange, you have to just advertise the base at this price. You can sell it for whatever you want. And uh, the the map pricing is not an agreement, but is instead is just a unilateral statement because any sort of agreement then falls under 
price fixing, essentially. Mm. So they're walking a, a very, very, very fine line already because the, the law in the U.S. is very like, you better watch yourself because one small slip up and you're going to get fined over here as well. Um, but what they did over in, in the EU, that would be illegal here as well. And that's just, in my opinion, a big deal. And I haven't seen any content about it other than a few news articles, no videos. And most of the articles are, you know, in German because this did occur um, in, in Germany, essentially. But I think that there's going to be some worldwide impacts to this because, I mean, that's a lot of money for these companies. Yeah, they do absolutely. a lot of business. Um, they do hundreds of millions of dollars of business in terms of sales, but the overhead and the cost to manufacture these items is also relatively high for their what they're what they're getting back. So their profit margins are a small percentage of the the money they're actually you know engaging with in their business. Yeah, absolutely. And like you might think, oh, it's it's Fenta, like they call the money in the world. But like you say, actually, it's it, that's quite a big chunk out of their profit margins uh and you know yamaha obviously have got their their fingers in lots of pies and uh, uh making lots of products not just in musical instruments so you know i think they'll be all right as well but yeah really strange uh situation that this is and and bad to hear and you know I've been speaking to a lot of people and actually seeing a lot in the comments recently that people's people's opinion on Fender is starting to slip a little bit. Um, and this really doesn't help. Um, we're really interested to see what else comes out because of this or if there's going to be any more that, you know, that is revealed that, oh, actually, this has been going on for longer. More people have been doing this. I really hope not. Um, you like to think that it's, a, it's an honest industry, but money's money, isn't it? Yeah, evil so we're going to be doing a, a more in-depth video on this particular scandal. Um, I'm going to be interviewing a, a few different people uh, in, in various parts of the industry, as well as someone from the legal side of things, just to kind of understand well, the, the law, I guess, in a, in a, in a more clear fashion. Yeah. So, um, like, why, why is that wrong? I don't understand. Of course they should dictate the price, you know. It's questions that people probably haven't even asked or might not have realized before um, that these laws are there and why they are there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see that. I'll be tuning in. Um, let's let's move on to some more positive stories. Yes, some, some exciting stuff. Yay! Woo-hoo, that's what this podcast's about, baby. Um, okay, so... Um, just a couple of new things. It's been it's been a mix, bit mixed week for news, really. Uh, a couple of new releases and then some new editions of things. So, uh, and obviously this is every two weeks this podcast. So some bits might not be totally brand new news, but here we go anyway. So, uh, Squire Classic Vibe stuff. They've brought out some new colors for the sixties P base. Have you seen these? I have not. Ah, they have got. Uh, I, I think they're exclusive to a few places. They have now got a. Uh, white and gold anodized scratch plate uh, with a maple neck or the 60s P base and, you know, same again, uh, but with a sunburst body. I think it's an anodized scratch plate, but yeah. Oh my God. They are going to sell like hotcakes. I, I, you know, I had the white P, that white 60s one uh, with a, with a gold custom scratch plate and People were messaging me like, where did you get it? Where did you get it? What? I need it now, you know. Um, uh, and that, I think that, that white one in particular is so good looking. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to sell really well. I agree. I think, I think Squire had a pretty good year uh, last year 
with the release of, you know, their Paranormal series. Um, and then, you know, you have the subsequent release of the Jaguar Affinity series, the updated entire yeah. Affinity lineup. I mean, Squires, they're, they're making some moves. And earlier this year, I heard that the Paranormal Jazz was discontinued. But then they reissued, they re-released it with new finishes. Yeah, that are, and it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. The, and, and again, with the anodized gold scratch play. And I think yes. Squire is definitely onto something here. Not just in that gold, but they and you know they're doing roasted maple necks now in like the contemporary series. And I think Squire are. That's why I just find Squire a bit more exciting than Fender because Fender have been just coasting for a long time on this vintage reissue times ten. You know, and how. How long can that go on? Squire are really pushing it out there and giving us something new, something interesting, something innovative, and keeping up with trends, which is, I think, really exciting. And I can't wait to see what they uh, what they keep on, you know, continuing to do. Um, and Fender try have been doing kind of similar things with their like Fender special runs, which is essentially what these ones are, to be fair. But um, they do a lot with the Mustang, so doing all they did like. 20 different colors of the mustang it was insane um and you're starting to see that in squire i feel like they're like testing the waters like uh, what what are people interested in what's selling well which is great because you get some really cool exclusives uh, you know they seem to be doing these exclusive with certain retailers as well yeah which you know is it's cool and i have no issue with that um as long as they're good retailers they're not involved in scandals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think this is really cool and i think uh i you know, it's, it's no surprise that they've had a great year because they've been doing so much. Especially their um, their lo- like the the stuff their Chinese made stuff is so good. Like mm. the Indonesian stuff, um, um, it's probably made by Court, I'm guessing. But the Indonesian stuff is like hit or miss. I've mm. looked at a bunch of the classic vibes, uh, different models and stuff, and I've had good ones and bad ones. And it's like you know, everyone, it's like you, you take it for the the for what that particular instrument is like you're never gonna you can find two of the same instrument and they're gonna play and maybe even sound entirely different like one could be terrible and one could be great whereas the chinese made squires both with the paranormal series and with the affinity series i found it just be like really good like the neck construction and the fretwork is like spot on absolutely i was really impressed with the paranormal and and, you know didn't know it's from china at the time i was like oh wow like is this where they're going to be moving production now and you know they're all and online i see on every squire video i do um i've been very lucky to not really have a lemon in terms of the construction um you know i've maybe not liked it just because of what it is but nothing in terms of the build quality um i've disliked um and i feel like i've gotten lucky there but i have played them before i bought them in a lot of cases there um which is uh, which is always my advice with that classic vibe range because you're right in the comments it's a real 50 50 people are like yes these are the best thing ever it's better than my american fender you know and then some people are like no mine was awful uh the neck was all bad the frets were bad i had to go back you know and it's all about that mass production quality control uh, thing doesn't it in, in terms of production uh, they're going to get some that slip if you're making more uh you're going to get some that slip through the through the net um so yeah squire keep it coming yes. if you want to make more out in china fine by us next up is it's been 10 years of the dark glass b7k uh that kind of most well-known uh distortion pedal it's 10 years. They released uh, a new edition of it, just an all black one with more traditional look. 
Um, I don't think it's different in terms of tone. It's a very limited number. I think it's only like four or 500 units that they're making. Um, but yeah, 10 years of, of that. And that, you know, that as a company and just, and, and pedals, they've just really um, exploded and revolutionized a lot of, a lot of bass tones and been able to get these signature bass tones that people have been after for years, just a, a flick of a switch. Um and they, yeah, you know, I think do, it's... They, they've done great things. And whilst I don't currently own any products for them, and I my opinion of them personally isn't, uh, you know, I they don't tickle my pickle so much. Um, but they well, they do, they do, and they don't. For me personally, in my playing style and what I want out of it, it doesn't suit me. But they they always sound great. Like I always applaud them for that. I agree, and I think that it's pretty remarkable that in a ten year period they could insert themselves into this industry where it's very much old names, you know, Ampeg is, is this the big name, you know, the Fender amps. And then, you know, you have, you have a lot of established brands that have been there for decades, decades and decades with strong fan bases. And to be able to carve out a niche in this, in that particular industry not only carve out a niche, but then create a signature sound, which is associated with your products in that period of time and, and expand to amps, to onboard preamps, pedals. I mean, they make, they make a lot of stuff. And also to have, you know, such renowned quality. I mean, they're, they're known for making great stuff. Uh, I think that's remarkable. So, you know, yeah. more power to you, Dark Last. I, I can't wait to see what you guys, you know, uh, do for the next 10 years absolutely and, and every time they go and release a product i'm excited about it i think their marketing is like spot on but also like when uh, something new is coming out i'm like oh what is this going to be now because they always seem to revolutionize or do something innovative which i think is really cool um and yeah i've got on to the next 10 years i say i've forgotten about another bit of news um the one that we spoke about briefly before here which isn't necessarily new but it was news to me when i saw it um, and that is that Schecter, uh, one of my favorite brands, Schecter, have brought out a new signature bass for Daniel Firth, who is the bass player of Cradle of Filth. I mean, Cradle of Filth pairing up with Schecter seems like a no-brainer. Um, this is a five-string neck-through uh, bass, so quite the beast, uh, with Fishman Fluent pickups. And something interesting, which you pointed out beforehand, has got this uh, this EMG uh, three-band preamp on it. Yes. So the Fishman Fluent system is usually paired with their own preamp. Like, I did an installation of that system in the Solar, um, their base. Um, and then there's a lot of bases out there that are uh, coming with the system stock. There's, a, I believe, a court that has them. Um, uh, the Schecter, um, there's this particular Schecter that has just the two-band uh, Fishman on there as well. But this is one of the first examples of a production instrument that has Fishman Fluence pickups with the voice switching, but that's paired to an EMG three-band preamp. So very interesting. Mm. Well, I, You know, EMG, whenever I think of EMG, I think of heavier music. I feel like it would be a good pairing, you know, yes. and, and with Schecter as well. Obviously, they've got that. Con I mean, it's, this is Cradle of Filth as well. I mean... This is clearly like the, the the vibe that they're going for. Um, so it seems like it would be a good pairing. I've not played the Fishman Fluence before. You have. Um, 
And uh, they they seem to be popping up in so many places now. Loads of people are endorsing them and, and just loving them. Um, yes. Are you, are you a fan? Yes. They're actually about a mile, a mile and a half away from me. <laughs> like <laughs> right, right down the street. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't visited them yet, but I, but I should. Uh, they are very unique because their construction of their pickups, there's no wire. Nothing's wound. It's all uh, printed PCB. It's all just like circuitry and stuff. So no no coil or anything. It's all just like printed circuitry and craziness. Yeah. Um, the future. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really cool tech. And um, it's confusing also. Uh, I remember during the install, it was a complex install. 32 different solder points, whereas most preamps are like five. Like, okay, wow. I, I wire up the pickups, battery, done. This is like, okay, I'm going to wire this to that, and then this to that, and then this over and wrap my neck. And that, and that, and that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot, yeah. Uh, but the end result, though, I think was really great. I'm hoping to do some more stuff with Fishman and um, try to look into maybe combining their the pickup system with other preamps, maybe even the dark glass. I've been... Mm. I've been liking the dark glass preamp a lot. It's very specific to doing a thing. Like it colors the tone in a very dark glass manner, yeah. but I like it for uh, like certain applications. Like when I want to make something like mean, I, I like to put the dark glass in it because it can get like clank and growl and grit. Yeah. And well, I think this would good. be a great like combination with those pickups then. I think it would be really cool. Um, so yeah, I, well, I can't wait to see that if and when you do that. I have um, one other piece of base news, though. Uh, so earlier this year, Sire had announced um, the new base models, the D5 and the P5. I have one the... on the way. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they are now hitting the shelves. So um, people who, are pre- who have pre-ordered them and maybe some retailers will have them in stock. But yeah, they are now coming out and becoming more yeah. readily available. Uh, I have a, a pair coming in the next week or two. I'm hoping they get here soon. Uh, so I have. So I wondered if they were starting to hit shelves because I had a DM today uh, asking about them and uh, like, oh, are you going to get one? I was like, yeah, I've, I've got one. They're like, oh, when's it arriving? My expected date. I pre-ordered it the day they announced it. Um, my expected date is November. So whether they're just getting to Europe or the UK much later, I don't know. I'm hoping that it's been bumped forward, but yeah, I hope to. Supply chain has definitely been hard, like industry wide with COVID. Mm. I mean, people are still feeling the effects, even though a lot of you know the regular, like you know, most people out there, you know, are getting more back to. I wouldn't say back to normal entirely, but like. You know, people are getting vaccinated and going back, you know, to their their offices or, or work or whatever, yeah. and a, a little a taste of normalcy. I'm not saying we're all the way there, but we're getting a taste. But the indus- the musical instrument industry is still feeling the ripple, still feeling it between electronics, between wood, between um, just supply chain for various other components and parts that may be sourced from all over the world. Shipping yeah. has been impacted. I mean, so many impacts. So. Uh, getting these instruments out, I know it's well beyond sire. I mean, I have a, I have a, uh, a, a Dingwall, the, the D Rock five string, uh, the like Thunderbird thing that 
um, has been on order since the beginning of the year. And like, it's just been impossible for them to actually get them shipped out of, you know, where they're being manufactured. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard. So it's crazy, isn't it? And you wouldn't, you know, it's such these after it, these impacts it has on the industry that you just don't think of until you're like, Oh yeah, of course that's going to have a massive impact and the amount of money like lost uh, throughout all of this is monumental. Um, well, I'm very jealous that you're going to be getting it soon. Uh, I can't wait. I'm going to, I'm getting the butterscotch D five. Nice. For like fifties P base. And uh, I cannot wait. Cannot wait. I, I, I'm denied for a long time between, like, I've gone through phases of all three of the colors they had. I was like, Oh no, I want this one. Oh no, I'm going to change mine. Can I change it to this one? Oh no, I want to change it back. <laughs> I'm sticking with the butterscotch though. I'm excited. Um, I have no wait. idea what colors I'm getting. It's going to be a surprise. Oh, <laughs> how exciting. I can't wait. Um, okay. So that's, concludes the news okay let's move on to another question uh this one comes from uh callum on instagram uh and this is kind of I, I put out a poll saying, uh, you know, sneakily hinting who was going to be on here. And I got a flood of questions. Um, and this one is one that's kind of directed to you. But I thought, you know, it's a bit of an it's a it's an ongoing discussion and something that I'm sure we'll both change our minds on multiple times in the future. Um, so Callum says, uh, uh, you, you, Lobster, you uh, review a lot of P and Stingray bases. But which is your favorite? Now, in the next section we get on to, and we've already spoken a little bit about bases that you would have, and, you know, a P-base wasn't in there, but, you you know, you are a lover of a P-base, but I think I know the answer to this, but do you want to go into it a bit? So, are we ta- wait, are we talking P-base or my Jazz and Stingrays? P-base or Stingray. No, okay. jazz, jazz is out of here. Get out jazz, of here. Jazz get out. out. So, so 2020, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> uh, so, hmm. P base what for my favorite P base it's probably my Music Man Cutlass. What that thing is 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 incredible. Uh, it has so instead of having uh, paired up pole pieces like, like yeah. a regular P base pickup, it's just a fat like almost like a Delano pickup. Yeah, uh, the, the big magnets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has those. It just has so much clarity and definition and. It just sits just right for me as like the P bass tone that I, that I, I hear in my head. So I had a similar thing with the Sandberg Electra P bass that I had, um, which is the same similar thing, similar style pickups where it's got the big um, the big pole pieces and the magnets. Those um, are active though, right? Those have a two band. Yes, that's right. Is is the Cutlass not passive? So is it? Is it? Well, that's yeah. good because I I like a. I don't really like active P bases that much. I, I agree. Just like it's simple and to be passive. So on that note, I think when we're talking about active circuits, the one thing that kind of bugs me for for a vintage style instrument to have an active circuit with no tone control <laughs> is like, oh, why? Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I, I have to commend the Sire preamp for because they're they're giving it all to you. I mean, you have the passive tone control, and then you have the three band with the mid frequency sweep and all of that. But there's a lot of uh, I forget which jazz bass it was, but um, can't remember off the top of my head. Um, 
but there, there's a lot of bases that like you know you have a vintage style vibe like either a p bass or a jazz bass and then you just have like a two band preamp and like the treble cut isn't the same as like a tone mm. control it, it's it, not. It, it's not. it hits differently um a particular bass that actually the review is coming this upcoming sunday it's the court gb74 gig the one with the p bass and the music man style pickup yeah another one that is a very frustrating circuit because it has First, the controls are all squished together, like really squished, where I, I don't have big fingers, but turning the blend knob, my index finger is also going to be turning the, the bass control as I turn yeah. the blend knob because it's so tight. Like my finger will hit. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. And it has a two band circuit with a separate tone knob that doesn't work when the preamp is engaged. Okay. So Why? I suppose, I suppose, but would you want the active preamp there and then be able to turn the tone off you would for me i'm like i don't know if i would here's why because one thing that i really like to do with that particular control setup if you really want to dial in some clank crank the treble turn down the tone just a smidge you get the grit but without the harshness at the top yeah yeah oh that's so that's that's really interesting I, now I want to try that. <laughs> I don't have any bases that do it, but that's really cool. Yeah, that is such a... That's one of those things that you would find out from, like, tweaking to the nth degree and trying to get those tones out of it. That's really and, cool. And in the uh, in the court video, I actually demonstrate, because I, I then bypass... I first do the treble cut with the preamp, and here's what this sounds like, and then I bypass it tone control all the way down. This is what this sounds like. Completely different tones. Yeah. So I understand, you know, including both, but then allow me to use both to their their full capacity, especially if you have a dedicated knob for it. It's like, well, this just doesn't work half the time. Like Ibanez (laughs) and Yamaha on their EQs, when you bypass them, the treble control turns into the passive tone control. Yeah. That that makes sense. You know, you have this control that only works half the time, don't have a dedicated control for it. And that is such a. Uh, a deal break for a lot of people is that tone control. Um, I've got the uh, GNL SB2 hung up on my wall behind me here, which I'll be reviewing soon. A review video coming very soon. Um, so, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, yeah, the SB2. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and that doesn't ex- <laughs> exactly doesn't exist. And loads of people in the comments already were like, "Ah, oh, I would love this bass." but it doesn't have it. And I don't know why. They're just missing out an entire market of people, which I don't think would be that expensive to put in. I don't really understand the reasoning behind it. So a lot of people mod them and end up installing like uh, almost like the paranormal circuit where you just have the volume tone, volume tone stack just to keep the same control layout. People just pop the tone controls in there that way. But yeah, Yeah. I agree. Like, Why not? (laughs) Um, You know, it's it's not a deal... It's not a total deal breaker for me. Like, it's a cool bass, and I'm, I'm looking forward to delving into it even more and playing it through like a uh, 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 practice as well, band practice. Um, but yeah, for for so many people, that's just like a no go already. Um, so don't help yourself. Um, we are the kings of sidetracks, and I love that. <laughs> um, back to this question: the the P versus Stingray thing for me. These are the two bases that it's, it's so hard to choose between for me because I'm like, every time I play one, 
like a stingray i'm like oh god i why would i want to play anything else i'm like this tone is the clarity is so good and it punches through so well and the genre any genre on it just sounds so good and then i play a p bass and i'm like oh my god this just suits everything and like i get it i, I never used to get the p bass thing and now i'm like oh my god it's the best thing it it sits so well in the mix it's just so fat and well-rounded and so i'm constantly in this back and forth between them so this is a really difficult question um at the minute for me uh it's it's a stingray it's my number one is probably that sterling uh because it's what i use for my band mostly and yeah i I had practice last night and just i took a couple of bases with me and going back to the stingray i was just like oh so good so good it feel like home yeah, definitely. And the neck, I feel, and that's the other thing with P bass. Stingray is definitely a safe bet in terms of feel. Like they've got this signature kind of feel to them. A P bass, I feel like the neck can really differ depending on what you go for. And mm-hmm. it can be the chunky 50 style, which is okay when you get used to it. But for a lot of people, will be like, oh, no, I don't like this. It's, it's too much. Or depending on the style of music you're playing, you know, you might want that really chunky neck. For me, I like it not like a modern C shape for a P bass, but a bit fatter, kind of like in between. That that mm-hmm. GNL actually has a really fantastic neck, um, feel wise. Uh, it feels just at home with a P bass, um, and yeah, they, and those both types of guitars do inspire, like we said earlier, inspire different kind of playing. Um, but I I yeah, agree on the P bass necks. Um, I recently reviewed the American Pro Two uh, P bass. And I did not like I I, I did not like the neck like, mm. but that's just a personal thing. Like I just thought it was like a little too on the fat side. Just like I don't mind fat necks either. Like I, I can still play them, but I just never felt like at home to me. Whereas like my Mexican P bass from 2013, and then the one that I that I put assembled out of Mexican parts that has the same type of neck profile, just feels so good. Like that modern yeah. P bass profile for me just sat, just feels a lot better. Yeah, um, I'm all, I'm always super nervous about buying P bases because of that. I'm like, I, that's the that's the make or break for me about a P base. I'm like, I got to like that neck um, because it can be this massive thing. That's the thing; it just comes with a P base. That's what they're about, you know. Uh, but that's not always what I like or want out of it. So, yeah, it's uh, so so for my answer for this. I uh, it's, it's so hard. I feel like I'm betraying myself, but I think I'm gonna go with the stingray what about you uh stingray too like my so i like the u.s stingray profile it's the 41.3 millimeter nut width and i like it on my classic a lot with the full gloss neck i'm not usually a full gloss guy but this bass just feels just right um the the your 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 uh was it ray 24 is using a uh uh a u.s sterling-ish neck profile so it's a thinner neck profile as opposed to the u.s uh, it's more akin to a jazz bass, but those are very comfortable as well, and I love those yeah. necks. I'd say it feels a bit like um, it feels about the same width, which is really comfy, but it's a bit fatter in your hand. Um, mm-hmm. And I like a big fat bit of wood in my hand, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so it's it's like it's it's probably my favorite neck, and I just yeah, just stingrays, man. I've never I've never picked one up and gone, oh, I don't like this neck. They've always felt super comfy. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next segment. bit of music here what's it gonna be bam 
Maybe I should just, for this episode, remove all of the music and just have my own bit this <laughs> time. Um, so this section is called That Tone You Own. So each week I ask our co-hosts to bring along a tone of theirs that they might consider their signature sound or something that they just really enjoy, whether it be in the moment, right now, or just throughout their playing career, you know. Um, and we were just talking about that Stingray Classic and... That is the tone that Lobster has brought along today. Well, now I'm going to I'm going to play the clip now and then we're going to talk about what it is that you love about that sound. Sounds amazing. Woo! So you know, it's 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 no doubt it's it's a st- classic Stingray sound. It's in the name. Hell, it's in the name, and it is what you get. And it's undeniably fantastic. So crisp. What is it about that specific model that that stands out for you? For me, it's the two band preamp that, uh, just like the Sadowski preamp that I talked about, where it just targets just the right bits of that bass's character. Mm. The classic two band preamp, in my opinion, does the same thing for the Stingray. You get that low end, which you can just dial in warmth, but then you got the treble control, or you can really get a lot of grit there, too. And it's just so simple, but so usable. And to describe the, the 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 sound, it's it's just like like the perfectly most perfectly cooked chicken nugget, where it's just like you got the crispiness on the outside, but like the tenderness on the inside. Uh, it's mm, it's just it has that for me. You, you get the crispy zing, but the tender warmth of the of the bass, and it cuts through the mix, but also sits nicely there. And it can it can do so much. And then with the additional flexibility of the bridge mutes, where you can really get a like a fatter, thuddier tone, and how it will respond differently, you know, between like flats and rounds. Um, like my old smoothie, which is a very similar bass, uh, it was running is running flats, and that just can that, that nails like the Joe Dart tone almost. Yeah, I was going to say that's what I just associate with that sound now. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you said that and i've not even played that bass but i know exactly what you mean because it's kind of universal across stingrays in general because i get the same feeling about mine um in the sense that the preamp is never too much and it is just like dialing in warmth um especially it just gets the right frequencies um and with more affordable bases and and active preamps when you when you crank them up it's like bloody who wants that much bass or that much treble uh, even with the um, Ibanez SR705, which you know is an old model now, but the one I reviewed the other day, it's kind of a mid-price range bass. It's not really affordable, I'd say. Um, it it, bl- it blows your head off because you're just like, oh, this it's too much. This is and the Jackson, which was like half the price at the time, you know, for new Jackson Spectra, mm, load of numbers I can't remember. Uh, the purple one, it's on my channel. Go and check it out. Um, that one, uh, you know. It, it it had the stingray effect where where the bass and treble are full. It's not too much. It's it's totally also usable. Um, the stingray I prefer the preamp in that. Like I say, so simple and just mm-hmm. works, and that's what's great. 
what I like about the budget Stingrays too is that like no matter how low on the model lineup you get, you can go all the way to the SUB, you're getting a Stingray. Like Ooh. you're getting a Stingray. Whereas things like I know there's other bases where you have the expensive American made one, but then the farther you go down the lineup, you start losing and sacrificing character and you start sacrificing that sound until it's like i bought this for the looks because I, it looks like that more expensive bass and but with the stingrays out of the box like they're they're very 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 solid bases um and then i also just appreciate the modability and the consistency of the stingray because like like with your ray 24 it sounds like a stingray and it has the, that character all the way, Ray 34 has that character. U.S. Yeah. Stingray Special has that character. A little bit different. I, I find when you start going up, the thing, in, in to my ear, in terms of just sound, you start getting even more like clarity as you go up. I, that's just me. And I, I love that about Stingrays. On that note about you know the clarity, what's also extra nice is the consistency of the platform where you can get that clarity without necessarily spending that money with a simple pickup swap. I've, yeah. I, I've done several videos on just swapping the pickup, keeping the stock SUB preamp on, you know, it's a $300 SUB with an Aguilar pickup that costs like a hundred bucks. And you're nailing that USA Stingray tone. Yeah. Nailing it. That, like That's what I love about your channel though, is that you, because it's an expensive you know, risk to take. And if you're not sure, is the preamp the thing that's letting it down or is it the pickup? Ah, you know, you are offering that platform that people then can find out what's what. And you're just experimenting essentially with all, with all these bits and getting fantastic results. Like you say, that is, it's the ultimate key, isn't it? If you get something affordable that works and then upgrade it uh, in the way that, that you've demonstrated that, that is going to work for that base and, and really brings the best out of it. So replacing the parts that you are discovering that aren't working so well, um, that's the, you know, the best way to, to have it. And if you want true value for money and you're not afraid to, to get stuck in with that kind of thing, then it's ideal. And I, th I think that the content that, that I do in regards to all the mods and stuff um, definitely illustrates that, you know, Tone is not a it's not linear. We're bad tone and good tone, but like it's it, it's a you can go in it's all a, different directions. And it's a spectrum. Yes. So like I did a you know the DIY dark ray where I, I emulated the dark ray circuit with like an onboard overdrive and then the three band dark glass. I mean that definitely does not sound like you know a regular stingray anymore. Or the one that I did after that, where we had the DCB pickup, the Aguilar DCB, and the Dark Glass preamp. I mean, that doesn't necessarily sound like your traditional Stinger anymore. It sounds great, and it's usable, though. And you can see the different directions that you can take these basses in, where it's not just about, oh, it sounds like a jazz bass. Like, a jazz bass can be many things to many people, and 100%. that's a whole world to explore. Yeah. And that's what's so fun about it all. Like, I don't understand people when they're like... Well, it just sounds just sounds like a bass. I don't understand. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> there's so much to it. <laughs> um, so going back to your tone that is in that video, because you you're not a pedal guy, are you? You don't. Really I'm not use... a pedal guy. No, I so I mean I enjoy certain pedals. Like I understand, you know, there, there's certain use for certain effects in a, in like a gig scenario or a jamming scenario. But I'm usually about like the the, the tone being you know the the bass and the hands and like hmm. that versus 
I like to hear the bass. I don't like to hear yeah. the bass plus 80 other things. Yeah. It may sound cool, and I'm all for people doing that. I mean, bass is a beautiful thing where you can just have so many different tones at your fingertips with all different sorts of effects. You can get some yeah. crazy stuff. Uh, Patrick it's, Hunter released his video this morning on his uh, the Donner pedal board, and I was super do impressed. You, with- do you know what? Do you know what? I was annoyed with Patrick today um, oh. because I literally thought, Huh, I think I'm gonna. I was looking at my pedal board and I went, I've got a real mix of expensive and affordable stuff on here. I'm gonna put together an affordable pedal board. Two minutes later, I see his video and I was like, God damn it! <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean I can't do it, you know, different folks, different strokes. It's absolutely check your room for bugs. Uh, is that Patrick's microphone over there? Patrick, Patrick can you hear me? <laughs> I love you. That's, uh, I'm not saying anything bad. <laughs> no, he's he's the man. And oh, absolutely. The, the the video that he released this it was today. I mean, people are going to be seeing this later. But the video that he released today about his uh, you know affordable pedal board with all those Donner pedals uh, just really illustrates like the crazy and usable tones that you can get with effects. And I think it really depends on what, like you say, what you're using them for and what um, how that's affecting in the mix because you want something that. In pedals, I always look for something that's quite transparent sounding because I don't want it to change. Although I want the effect of the pedal, I don't want it to totally change it so much that I'm suddenly taken out of the mix or I'm blowing out the mix. It needs to work in that moment for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't go crazy with effects. I've got quite a lot of pedals on my board, but they're normally just to help the clean tone. That's the majority of what I concentrate on, um, like a compressor and a preamp. And, and, you know, we come from totally different backgrounds in terms of, uh, gigging and and how we got into it and where it starts from um for me i'm always going to gigs where there's th- at least three bands on the lineup so i'm using someone else's rig in a different room every time so i need so i'm right right the amp i can't just go bass into the amp because then that's a totally different sound every time so i want to be able to control as much as possible what is my consistent tone so a lot of my tone for live goes on in that pedal board you know i've got preamp i've got my compressor i've got all sorts of bits going on um down there that i like to try and do to make my sound come through and although i can do that there's a lot of that with my hands and, and my bass um i like to help it along because uh, if they've got a amp i don't like so much you know i'm kind of stuffed in some scenarios whereas here i can kind of like i've got the sans amp on there that can not a lot of the time really save a bad app you know by adding a better preamp essentially sans um, amp stuff is so good yeah that's, so good absolutely and it's it lasted the test of time you know it's they haven't changed much over the years because why would they um my so, old amp rig was a uh, was an eight space rack case with whoa. a power conditioner a sans amp rbi yeah yeah a two band, uh, a two channel compressor for some reason. Even though I'm only using one channel, a 24 band EQ because I liked all the lights. I was an idiot. This is in high school. Uh, this is, and then this literally sounds like what I wanted when I was in school. <laughs> and then a 1200 watt power amp. Uh, <laughs> I bet that weighed a ton as well. It was. It was. It was. It was a lot. Um, it was of like 50 or 60 pounds for the amp head, and then my amp cab at the time. I'll never forget. It was an Ampeg 410 HLF with the extended frequency. That thing weighed like 100 pounds. And I was driving my dad's Volkswagen Cabrio at the time, a little convertible. So 
the way I, I, I had to go to gigs was I put the top down and hoist the cab over the trunk into the back seat. <laughs> and then the head on top of that, it wouldn't move because it weighs a ton or whatever, but... Go around a corner too fast. <laughs> then put the top back up because it, sometimes it would be winter or something. Oh, it would be freezing. I, I just had this amazing view of you driving down like on a Miami coast with your sunglasses on, beard waving in the wind, <laughs> with your arm round this cab, but it's poking out at the top of the roof. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was essentially it. It was, it was, it was tight quarters uh, gigging. And then my I, I think it was my senior year of high school, because I had been playing a lot for school functions and then out of school functions for bands and stuff. I was very, very active in like the local music scene. And I'm just like, man, enough is enough, man. So I had been hearing a lot about AccuGroove cabs back then. Oh. They're still around. Uh, and they made this cab called the Tri 112L. Uh, the L stands for lightweight. It's like a 30 yeah. pound cab. That's like good size, uh, 400 watt. Um, I mean, it could, this thing kicks and it had a 12 inch, a five inch and like a two inch. So it, it pushed out like a, the whole frequency range. And it just sounds so good. You just pick it up with one arm and just toss it wherever and stuff. I combined that with a GK micro 200 little head. That's like this big, shove it in yeah, the yeah. front case in my base case. Beautiful. Base on shoulders. Cab in hand, one trip. Ha, ah, drummers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, I offer I offer our drummer every time. I'm like, hey, do you want to hand me this stuff? And he's like, no, nah, man, it's, it's all right. I'm like, he's just used to he's used to people not offering. He's like, I don't know what to say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and as a, as I get older as well, I'm definitely more for like smaller rigs. Oh, my back was already bloody shot. Um, but I had the ampe I had a ampeg. 610 um which was awesome like oh that thing moved some moved some air you know great cab obviously um but then i i changed it for a eden cab eden xlt 410 fantastic sounding cab that thing was so responsive but my god it weighed more than the ampeg wow i know i mean built like a tank but insanely heavy, which is why I, I ended up selling it. Um, talking about amps, I suppose we haven't really spoken about the amp that, True. that, you, that you use, um, which I believe is an orange. So yeah. Right? So it's not my main amp, but it's funny because I'm like very, very much associated with this amp because it's literally in every one of my videos. That's what I use. Yeah. The reason yeah, I there's use reason it, before that. Yeah, there's reason yeah. behind it, like you say. So the reason I use this amp specifically is because this is a $300 combo amp. That in my mind is like representative of like what most hobbyists and most like intermediate bass players and stuff, they're going to be playing through something like that. Whereas a lot of the demos we hear from like big channels and big names, okay, you have this cool bass going into 80 effects, going into a $3,000 amp rig that's then being mic'd by a $600 microphone. Yeah. Is this representative of like what you're going to be getting if you buy yeah. this bass? That's so that's you... why it's the same thing for me. When I start when I first started, I was just using the Logic bass amp, the Ampeg, because I was like, I, number one, I di I didn't have a situation where I could be setting up an amp and being loud and and get a true representative in my room. I still can't do that uh, really because of neighbors. Hence why I now use the Line Six HX Stomp for all of my amps because uh, it does the same thing as the Logic, but it's a I don't know, bit bit more control in there, and mm -hmm. I wanted to use it live as well. Anyway, anyway, um, but yeah, it's 
it's you want that consistent sound that is going to be achievable because like you say if someone's playing demoing this harley benton what through this like two thousand pound amp it's just not representative of what the consumer is actually going to be able to use and achieve and then you and you i think you said in a video i saw one time that the orange is quite a transparent sound so you're going to get a lot of sound of the bass itself rather yeah. than the coloring of that preamp there's there's a, a smidge of like vintagey coloring, but it's it's I think it's very minor, and I think it's a very mm. honest sounding amp. There's a smidge of compression built into the amp that you have no control over. That's a double edged sword because on some on some ways people are like oh it sounds a bit compressed. And I'm like no, it is what it is. I had uh, that today, and I was like, well, there's no compression on that. But the other, but the positive of that is it allows me to play with these EQs and these basses while still kind of representing the changes in the tone without having to then mess with my setup constantly. Because, mm. like, I'm using a focus right for, to, to pull the, uh, the, the line-out signal from the amp. It's just going direct into the focus right. And if I am just... Let's say I plug the bass directly into the focus right. EQ's at center on the bass. I play. Then I crank the bass. The focus right is just going to give me that, and then it's suddenly going to be, you know clipping or overdriving so having that compression in the amp allows me to hey boost the bass here's how it impacts the overall tone without having to then reset everything to compensate yeah. for that um so it's a transparent amp that has that little bit of compression that allows me to kind of play in the sandbox that is, that are these bases without necessarily having to adjust where I'm at every time. Yeah. I can keep everything the same and give that same representation where, hey, I'm going to play base A and play base B. It's going to be completely different videos, but the settings are the same. This is representative of like what I think most people are going to get. Whereas you said, like, yeah, some, some, someone's demoing a Harley Benton through like a super expensive bass amp rig and they're like whoa this thing sounds great whoa and then well i want to buy that bass you get it and you're like this sounds like oh. crap uh, yeah exactly it's just you're, you're pulling the wool over their eyes a little bit uh in the, in those scenarios which i i think it's a bit disingenuous because like my goal is not to make every bass sound as good as it can because that line is never going to be the same for every bass Definitely. And then when you're looking at comparisons, like, oh, I think this bass sounded better, but I had to do this and that to get that sound. Whereas this bass, it sounds good, yeah. but then you have to do and this like, and that. And it's fine if like you do that outside of the demo and you go, well, I was actually able to get this good sound, but I had to tweak a lot and using the gear that I have. So if you are getting this, you are going to have to do some work, like depending on the app that you've got, you know. So I think it's it's just about being open and honest about those things, isn't it? Yeah. But, and I think yeah. same goes for, like, the... I, I've gotten a lot of, I guess, I'm not going to say criticism, but, like, uh, people have mentioned, like, you know, if a bass is noisy on, on my on my videos, I'm like, well, yeah. Um, not, I live not, not in a brand, 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 like, new built last year house. I mean, it's a house from the 60s. There could be some noise in the in the circuits. I have a power conditioner. Outside of that, you know, I have computers and lights and everything. Yeah. And um, to like from a clarity perspective, yeah, if you're in a studio, a studio is going to have a clean power circuit. It's going to sound quiet. But if you're also in a bar that you're playing a gig, 
that could be a pretty noisy environment. You have lights, yeah. you have a, maybe a noisy circuit, um, yeah. sharing with uh, other electronic apparatuses in, in the environment. I mean, there's a lot of variables. And I think instead of having the best environment to be like, okay, everything is completely silent. Look, that's not representative either of like what other people's environments are like. So why there are not? so make- many factors that come into how this sounds and you know it's gonna it's gonna be different for everyone like say depending on the gear depending on the room i've played in a a gig before um and the it was the noisiest venue i've ever played like there was straight up just a buzz coming through the amps i was like wow the next day it burnt down from an electrical fire (laughs) (laughs) we're like oh my god we were the last band to headline in there I'm mean, not laughing at the venue, but look, you know, it's crazy. But look at a look at like look at cars and look at like other things that people review. When people are reviewing cars, people aren't just driving 25 miles an hour down an empty street saying, "Oh man, this is driving like on a straight line." Oh man, this car is great. Like, mm-hmm. no, you beat the crap out of the car. You drive it around a track. You, you get some road impressions. You talk about mm-hmm. the aspects as you're, like, beating the crap out of it because how else do you evaluate what it can do unless you challenge it? Same goes Definitely. with, like, for example, computer parts as well. People benchmark them by um, stressing them, stress tests and benchmarks that flex the full capacity of this component just like with bass, I think it's important to challenge the bass. If it, I want a noisy environment, so if this bass is going to be prone to noise, I want to know. That is saying something, yeah. Then that is impressive, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I totally agree. And that was that was a good um, point of contention for my my old space. It got really cold in there, so the tunings would sometimes go out of whack. So that was a great uh, way for me to know how well a bass was. Uh, holding its tuning um, or how well the construction of the neck if it was like bowing a bit uh, over time i could i can normally tell after a bit a short period of time the build quality of that guitar because we're getting such a small snapshot of the ownership experience in these reviews yeah. people are saying oh you know oh it sounds great oh but like th- there's so much more to bass ownership versus yeah. the sound of the bass through a multi-thousand dollar pound uh, amp rig and that's why like i i kind of like I had a love-hate relationship with my, with my own content because I a lot of the stuff, the majority of the stuff I review is is secondhand because that's the way that my channel operates at the minute. So I can keep it afloat financially uh, is because I buy and sell all the time. Uh, that's why a lot of people like say, like, oh, you're selling that already. You just got it. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's got to be done. I've got to sell it on to get the next bit of gear in. That's just yep. how my same, life operates at the minute. Yeah. Same here. And so, and so, a lot of the time I'm getting even my unboxings. It's not a representative of the, of the company or like who's made it because it's come from someone else. And that, that, they, they kind of make that a bit more fun. I think it's a bit more unpredictable, but, um, but also it, it shows the test of time uh, as this base, this base feels like it is, you know, if it's like a 10 year old base and it is fantastic still, then yeah, there might be a bit of stuff of the owners kept good care of it, but you know, getting to get natural wear or things going a bit wonky with it over time. So, you know, it's little things like that, that uh, differences between what the consumer sees and what is actually useful to the consumer. Exactly. And that's, that's what I think a review is. A review is, is, is giving it all and, and, and putting something through its actual paces and not just yeah. like, 
um, you know, playing a ringer on a staged course where, you know, oh, th I know this, this, this car is going to, you know, do well at this turn or, you know, it's going to, it's going to handle well here. So we're, this is where we're going to shoot it. Like, it's not about shining the best light on something. It's about shining a light where you can see through it, be transparent and understand the pros and the cons of the ownership through, you know, trials and tribulations of, you know, electronics of, of, of environment with you. On the topic of temperature, so I'm in a basement. This is my the basement of my house, and in Keyword my reading base, yes, keyword <laughs> being base. Um, but it's I'm in the New England area of of, of the United States, which is a very uh, variable temperature place, um, where you know, very similar to the weather of, of of your area, where some like in the summer we can have scorching days, but we can also have days that are you need a sweatshirt and it's chilly and rainy. Um, and then in the winter, it can really dry out. But in the summer, it can be really humid. So I have a big humidifier. I have a dehumidifier uh, to try to keep things somewhat somewhat the same. But like, you know, environments are variable and things change. So um, I, I, I think, you know, that that's important. That's important to basically understand that, you know, everyone's environment is a little bit different and understanding how these instruments may or may not react to those changes is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, like you say, some people like, oh, I love this instrument when I've just got it. And then like six months down the line, they're like, oh, it's lost all its mojo because this has gone wrong. This has gone wrong, you know. Um, and like you say, we're getting such a snapshot of it. It's kind of good to have these things in there. Uh, and sometimes... Sometimes we can't afford to um, to to share that opinion when we've had it for six. We can't sit on a base for six months and then review it down the line because, like, like we released our affinity videos quite close together, time wise, and it's because they're hot topics. They're out now. Exactly. You know, it's just the give of the give of the gab, and it? it's just playing the game that you know we can't always give that perspective. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to to the next yes. subject. We we we've gone it's, it's leaving in quite nicely actually because we're talking about channel stuff, we're talking about content, and this and this next question is is more related to that. So let's move on to the big base debate. <laughs> the music. <laughs> It's called the big base debate, uh, just because there's alliteration. It's not really a debate, <laughs> and uh, uh, this one isn't really uh, something that has something that we have to decide or that is a topic that we're gonna, you know, big talk about. It's more just um, checking in, really, because uh, this person's asked, and I thought it was interesting because we could talk about it because we're in kind of similar situations in terms of content creators. You know, um, they said this is from Liam on Instagram who asked, uh, "Why did you?" guys start your channels and what are the plans for the future so i thought this would be quite nice from our perspective to talk about what our process is and um, and what the plan is in, in the future because it's a uh, and and who knows what plans are for the future sometimes because things change and algorithms are, are, are funny old things um so let's start from the beginning why did why did you start your channel because i'm a crazy person uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't I, like free time <laughs> no um so I started the channel, uh, so I've been playing bass for a while, like since uh, high school, um, since the mid-2000s, um, almost 20 years. And um, I've, you know, have my ebbs and 
ups and downs and stuff. You know, I've been really active, really inactive. Mm. And what was consistent, though, is, you know, throughout my, you know, young adult life and my, my teen life, you know, you have to balance base with like other things because you have work and friends and all that stuff. And the more I grew, grew up or the more I, I guess, went more into like adult BS, um, the farther I moved from music and bass and the less happy I was. It was, it was, I was pretty depressed, honestly. It's amazing what impact it can have. Like even just, just picking up and jamming like by yourself, like helps so much. Yeah. And like my, it was nose to the grindstone. I, you know, I was, you know, working day, my day job, working real hard, doing a lot of traveling and, um, you know, hanging out with friends and stuff, but never like, never engaging that musical part of my life. And it was a void that was just never filled for so long um, until uh, 2019. Um, I, uh, I got a new job that was, you know, I'm very fortunate to have, I'm still working there now. And uh, I suddenly had the flexibility where, Hey, you know, I could purchase some instruments or, and not, and like enjoy them and not just like, Oh man, well, I have to go for this. I have to do that. I could actually say, you know, mm. this is something that might make me, you know, happy musically, and I'm going to go for it. So I started. Uh, I, I bought a few bases, and then I bought a few more, and I'm like, oh god, um, what what am I going to do gotta, with this? I got to have an excuse. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, literally, I needed an excuse, um, and I was just thinking about it a lot. And then at this point, the pandemic was starting to like happen and things are starting mm. to, to close down. And what really like solidified it for me was when I got this Ibanez EHB right before the channel started. It was my first video and I was just super excited to get it. I was hyped up after they were released at, at NAM, but then they were impossible to get because of all the supply chain issues and the pandemic. And there's a, a particular recall with like some bridge screws or something that hit, hit the, uh, impacted the distribution of those bases, but I got one super early on. I'm probably one of the few ones in the U S that got them like probably six or seven months earlier than everyone else. And I'm like, no, I'm going to try and, and make base videos. Like just give my opinion on them. And whereas I, I drew the inspiration, not from music though. I drew the inspiration from a particular YouTube channel, gamers nexus. Um, okay. a, a U.S. based channel that focuses on computer hardware and the, the industry of, of, of computer stuff. Um, and what I appreciated about their channel and just the space that they occupied with other YouTubers in that niche was the transparency. They were always for, on the side of the consumer um, and they were always willing to call out manufacturers for BS and they're always upfront and honest. Sometimes manufacturers would send them a component to review, but sometimes they would have a falling out with the manufacturer because they're just like, you know, this thing sucks. Like it doesn't cool well, or it doesn't perform well or it doesn't do what it claims to do. And then they're like, well, we're, we're just going to buy it ourselves then because, you know, we have, a, we have a duty to, you know, report on this. And I very much appreciated that level of integrity and that level of, journalism i'm not a journalist by any any way shape or form but and it's all about it's documenting these things though isn't it yeah. exactly and documenting them in a way that's true to the instrument and then true to like you know myself like i i'm not here to be an advertisement which is why with my channel when i deal with other manufacturers or organizations 
I never, ever accept any free bases or money from these manufacturers because it will sacrifice my integrity. I know there's a lot of base channels out there that will accept payments and will accept free instruments. And they say at the beginning, you know, so-and-so paid me to do this, but it doesn't impact my, my opinion. I mean, you, you can say that and that's fine. That is not true because you're, you are now accepting something and you now have an incentive to give a certain opinion because if you do not give maybe a certain opinion, they may not be so favorable as to give you free stuff in the future. And I think if, if you see people that are saying that and then they actually have bad things to say about it, then I suppose it's not so, so much to say like, if you do this, this is wrong and you and you shouldn't, you should just be completely transparent. And if you love it, that's fine. But yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. It's a, it's a hard line to follow there because it's like well you're you're immediately compromised you know, yeah like opinion I, of so now i'm being both paid by this manufacturer and i'm also getting stuff from them um and now my business that i'm engaging in depends on them providing this to me and paying me for my time um it's like imagine it's like you know here in the u.s there's a jd power uh is a car awards thing it's practically owned by chevy and chevy's always like oh we earned the jd power award for for this and that it's like you gave yourself an award like (laughs) (laughs) good good job you know uh so big old circle jerk (laughs) exactly and i noticed that there was a big lack of that type of integrity in the musical instrument space and I don't think it's, it's I'm not going to call it a bad thing because also the situations are different where a lot of the people making musical instrument content potentially are musicians by trade where, hey, my well, my livelihood depends on me playing music. So that's not necessarily the most lucrative career, you know, unless you make it, you're probably not making a lot of money playing music. So whereas like, you know, on the in the tech space, like, you know, if you're working in tech, you're, you're probably doing decently well if, if you know what you're talking about at, at, at that point so um it's, it's kind of different so I, I can't poo-poo on you know people you know accepting money and demoing products however when it comes when it turns into like a review where then you have to then evaluate something impartially like it, it, it's it's different so bottom line is future of lobby's channel you're getting sponsors left right and center <laughs> these products that's the plan so, so yeah actually uh <laughs> no well so, sort of let's create we've we've uh, you know i in uh december last year i said i did the dibleys and you know you won an award if you do one this year you can give me an award and then i'll sponsor your video and you can sponsor my video <laughs> this this video is sponsored by johnny dibble <laughs> but i've been uh engaging more with um manufacturers of components like i'm now an emg artist as of a few weeks ago however uh, because of the content and the nature of my channel i'm not bound by them in any way shape or form to look at or not look at other other components yeah uh, which is which is huge because they're basically like we like what you're doing especially with emg stuff we want to support that cool um so i'm happy to accept you know free pickups and stuff because i'm I may do pickup demo videos, but it's a lot harder to review a pickup because where's yeah. that pickup living? Is it up here? Is also, it down there? A lot of the time you're not reviewing that product because you, you 
you know, you get and sent the product, you need lots of these things to put in all these different bases, you know, and, and try it all out. So you're not giving a, a dedicated, oh, this is my opinion on this preamp each time. It might be a little bit, but not like this is the product review. It's like, what does this sound like in here? What does it sound like in here? It's like being a string artist, you know, or something like that. Um, oh my God. Viewers at home, I mean, you're missing out now because we've got prime cat content going on. I want to <laughs> hear that. I want to hear that purr, baby. Um, oh my God. All the scratching on the neck. I can. Oh, what a little cutie. Um, so in terms of, um, uh, so your story is actually, you know, very similar to mine in terms of starting because I was like, Hey, it's lockdown and Harley Benton have just um, released their Rickenbacker base, which I kind of want to buy, but I don't really have a use for it. And I, I, I do watch a lot of YouTube and I've always want to do it. Uh, my excuse to buy this, uh, uh, I'll make a video on it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and then just went from there. So the way I actually started, because I'm, I'm like, I decided, hey, I want to do a YouTube channel. So I began brainstorming, like, how I would present, like, would it be like Will's base channel? That's my name if everyone doesn't know uh but then i I had a gamer tag you know lobster that i've been using for over a decade i'm like that's that's pretty funny low end low end lobster oh Oh. um and then it became a matter of like figuring out like how i wanted to do this and i i went on youtube and i put in how to make youtube videos (laughs) and This one video is the first result. It went through everything in detail that I needed to know. What camera I needed, lights, mm. how to, you know, what, like, audio. The audio was, like, yeah, use a lanyard mic. I used that for a while, but I, I switched to a different mic. But it was just yeah. giving me, like, the foundation from which to build the channel to make high-quality content because that's the barrier. That's the true barrier of entry. Um, you can – anyone can make a, make a YouTube video, but, like – how do you make a YouTube video that people are going to be engaged with visually? Yeah. I can't. Uh, visually, <laughs> uh, audio, uh, auditorially, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and you're going to, con- at the same time, you've got to have like a bit of a niche as well that wants people to, you want to draw people in and get them to come back, you know. Why, um, why, why are they going to look at my videos versus, versus like, you know, someone yeah. else's? What am I offering that uh, maybe someone else isn't? What's, what's, what's my role? Exactly. And and for me at the start, I was like, right, I've I don't think I've ever spent more than 700 pounds on a base, you know. And so I was like, right, I'm going to focus because when you when you're demoing up or looking at more affordable gear, naturally, kind of people don't make high quality videos on more affordable gear because Mm -hmm. it's less lucrative. And it's, you know, although they probably that's where they probably make the most money. These companies uh, selling all of these ones at the time, I was like, well, I want to. I want to try and help fill that, and and being a predominantly a pick player, that is something that's lacking as well. So I was like, I'm going to try and tick these boxes, um, and I kind of had some video experience beforehand, um, so I just like combined all of those things. And like you say, there is so much to it, and and you you really have to find your style, um, which is something that I think you've done fantastically. You know, you've really got your your niche and your you know everybody knows you now the in in the comments so weird to me so weird (laughs) see making making moves on the online industry and it's 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 amazing isn't it like finding this little community of people that you then create i i love it i think it's amazing 
So I work in a global company that's uh, based out of Europe, um, but I work out of the, the U.S. headquarters here. But, you know, I, I very much work globally with like other people across the world and stuff. It's a large company, too. And, you know, I know very, very small number of people relative to the, the full scope of the company. And in a few weeks, I'm doing a presentation on a particular piece of uh, software that we're implementing. And I sent out the invitations to about two dozen people overseas. I have no idea who these people are, but like, I just sent it out. I got a reply about 10 minutes later. Are you low end lobster? I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And at a show about a month ago, um, first live show I've been doing since the, the pandemic, it was a it was a uh, socially distant show uh, where everyone had their own parking spot and you had that was your space. And it was in this parking lot. And then there's the stage. And I'm just chilling. And then after the show, I, mean, I go up and say, you know, great job, guys. The guy goes, are you the low end lobster? I'm like, got recognized in public? Like, oh my God, what is this? It, it's a YouTuber's dream. <laughs> it's very weird to me, though, because like before a year and a half ago, like who I was, I'm, I still consider myself like the same person, but like. It's, it's very different and it's very weird. And then even when the channel was very small and I had, you know, like 80 subscribers, but like there's people who would regularly comment. We're still commenting today, which is freaking awesome. That's awesome. I, I've got, I've, I'm the same where I've got some people that were there from like the second subscriber or something is still there now. And, and now and then they'll comment like, I was here first. <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and then there's there's people that are just like there like when you're premiering a video they're there in the live chat or like they're the, they always comment and you can always rely on them and that's you know it's it's amazing those types of things and I, I think that is as much as i love instruments and stuff i just love talking to people and that's in, in terms of like planning for the future i just want more of that to be honest yeah um and i i don't have any qualms or time wise like i'm like at my limit <laughs> like i've stretched in terms of free time and like producing content but... speaking of uh speaking of the future to talk about that so like i talked about how my channel grew a lot but it goes well beyond that because this past january uh, i established low-end lobster as a corporation uh, that I am oh. I'm the head of, and I have other people working with me. So, like, um, I brought on my good friend Dale uh, maybe about two or three months ago. He does our transcription Tuesdays. He's mm. an immense, immense bass player. Uh, mm. He studied at Berkeley uh, over here uh, where I'm at, and uh, he's just a, a great friend and just a great bass player. Um, and it's very nice to be able to bring him in and explore different facets of, of, uh, of bass playing that – I'm not necessarily into like, I like to tinker and I like to noodle and, and make stuff up and I like to jam with friends. I'm not one into like learning a song exactly or transcribing songs. That's just not what I'm into, but he really likes that. And I was, I'm so happy and fortunate to be able to like have the foundation to engage him in that capacity and to allow him to succeed. Uh, and I, there's going to be more of that in the future where I'm looking to like, you know, bring some other friends in to explore different facets of music and musical instruments that I may not either be the best at, or I may not just be interested in. Yeah. Um, we talked about pedals where, you know, I'm not a pedal guy. Um, but one of my, my very good friends who's already part of the uh, organization in one respect. He's very into pedals. And this past year, he, he 
bought a lot of pedals for his own personal collection. He plays guitar mainly, but I'm like, dude, like, let's leverage the channel for this. Let's, you know, we can get you pedals through the through the channel and you can explore them. And you play, you're playing guitar, play bass too. Who who looks at uh, who pedals in, in both contexts, bass and guitar in the same video? Yeah. So like, we're already exploring how to expand this and how to grow outside of just me because because that, that you can only do so much and like that's it, the thing i'm finding now where i'm like right well i'm getting a bit bored of my own stuff now what am i going to do next to make it more interesting or to or to exponentially grow because you know you go like this and although it does snowball um you kind of want to look at the next step and think right how can i scale this up if you're serious about it which you know obviously sounds like you are and for good reason because there's so much potential there that all sounds so so exciting incredible stuff and all all the best with this in the future it sounds like i'm saying goodbye like forever <laughs> of course i'm not and and i hope that you'll come back on the podcast because i'm sure there'll be so many more questions that we can go through and so much to discuss because absolutely there, there's one there's one other thing I wanted to add, just in terms of content creation, that mm. I think is is very, very powerful. Um, and you'll hear this across YouTube from all different YouTubers: is don't don't kill yourself with with, with work, and don't turn YouTube into a, a burden. It's important to like take a step back and remember that you're setting your own schedule, and it's important. Consistency is important when it comes to like success on the platform. But you set your consistency. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't because uh, I was doing. I was overwhelming myself last year. I was sometimes at some points doing like daily videos, um, or sometimes every other day. And you've got to keep um, and, that up, then you know, like yeah, and, and it was becoming a lot. And it, it's burnout is a thing. And starting this year, like in January, I took a step back and I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Uh, and like. You know, as I'm growing in other facets of my life, like I can't let, you know, this thing that's a hobby start to take over to the point where it consumes like my life. So exactly. I went and to three videos a week versus like, hey, every day. And hey, that sounds like a lot, but I shoot all my videos on Saturdays and sometimes I'll shoot five videos in a sitting because it's a matter of like, I don't get too worked up with the specifics. I have in my head what I want to say, but I don't script it. I don't, I don't uh, do like 80 shots at different plate. Like some people do like very high production. Like I'm over here talking now I'm like in this building talking and like to illustrate different points, I do very minimal editing. And early on, it was a challenge talking in front of a camera where I would have to do cuts between sentences because I'm just like, okay, I'm talking. And then <laughs> you should see my raw footage. That's what it's like. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And early on, especially like it would take me two or three hours to shoot like a seven minute video. Oh, cause I have to, I have to say sentences over like nine times for just every sentence. Yeah. And that's, that is why my videos are so choppy. And so like jumpy, like that is the style of my content. Like is that very like, stereotypical youtuber well zooming in and like slow zooms and like popping in and but you know I, our content is different in that regard and for me it works like i don't script mine at all i'm exactly the same I, i've got a rough idea i you know i've played the bass i'm like right i i, I know what i like i don't like i know what i'm gonna say um but i, I you know i'll put my the, the things i mess up i can afford to mess up because of my editing style 
Um, so I always tell people when they're for they're like, oh, how do I start? I'm like, number one, like I say, do your research and then like looking up videos on how literally how to how to make videos. Um, and then, uh, but then at the same time, don't let that be a barrier. You want to start if you're not confident in front of a camera, try and just find a style that works for you because. I'm quite confident in front of a camera, but I still make all these mistakes and I, and I work it into it because that's just how, how I operate, I suppose. Or like what I hope people come back for is that kind of that style. You know, when people are like, oh, you know, you're working like you have a gun to your head. A lot of people don't realize you're the one holding that gun and you can put it down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are in control. Remember that the algorithm yes. does not control you. So uh, I, other YouTubers comment, and you know, I, I I kind of feel the same way that sometimes the verbiage of like the, the dashboard can kind of make it seem like you're under the gun, or like, oh, this video wasn't performing as well. Mm. Mm. But it's a like slippery slope, slippery slope. That you got to kind of ignore it. Um, yeah, you can't get into your own head because every video isn't going to always perform better than the last one. Every no, video isn't some, going to be a hit. Exactly. Sometimes I'm like. I don't think this video is going to do very well. It's not very like keywordy or it's not like topical and that does super well. And then one I'm like, right, well, I know this is, this one's going to do well. We'll just do like average. And I'm like, Oh, like what was, what was wrong with that? And it's, it's right time, right place. Sometimes it can be random what like gets picked up. Um, so you can only, you can't stress about those types of things because a lot of it is out of your control sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and to add to that, that control is sometimes in the hands of strangers. There was a particular video uh, where I'd looked at two P-Base pickups and like cheap P-Bases. It was the Demarzio Relentless, the Billy Sheen uh, pickup, and the Geezer Butler in like two cheap bases. And Billy Sheen commented on that. Oh, hi, Doug. Uh, <laughs> Billy Sheen commented on that video and, um, and then reposted it on his Facebook page. And that video did very well because of that. Like it was already, yeah. it already been a couple of months. It did okay. And then second wind after he, he reposted it and then people were like, oh, wow, this sounds great. And then I got more subscribers and stuff through that. So it's just about, you know, random happenstance a lot of the time where Absolutely. someone with potential pull or influence in that particular sector of the industry yeah. may see your video, may reach out yeah. to you. I had, I had Harley Benton, Harley Benton sponsor one of my videos, like not sponsor me, like they promoted paid to boost a, or like do a paid ad on their mm -hmm. page with my video. And I was like, that's so cool. And the thumbnail, <laughs> the thumbnail was like a bit clickbaity because it just had an arrow to the base and said cheap on it. And they, <laughs> and they paid to promote it. And I was like, oh, I feel a bit bad, but thank you so much. It's amazing. Um, cool. Well, we have been going for so long and I've loved every second of it, but I suppose we better cap things off and tie it with a nice little bow. Um, so again, thank you so much for coming on, mate. It's been fantastic. And I hope you'll come on again. Absolutely. So tell the people, they already know, I'm sure, but for those that don't tell them where they can find you, what's going on, all that jazz. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram under a low end lobster, all one word. And thank you so much for having me, my friend. It's always great to chat and, and see you. Always, always, mate. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, don't forget to, you know, if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you like this video. Uh, give it a pinch if you want. Pinch that like button. Boop. And boop, there you go. Uh, and hit that subscribe button 
please, 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 because then we can keep doing more of these. And you make me very happy. Same roof again. Oh, you gotta get that out there in the end. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.